Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Sam and talk about finances after a career change and a divorce. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my maverick co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. Great to be here. And we're going to save Sam from the danger zone and his finances. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. So arm those doors and cross-check for something because we're going to take off. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or build out your financial runway for a soft landing, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. On today's episode, we're playing a little game. It's called Count the Airline Puns. See how many you can find. (laughs) Scott, I just joined an indoor soccer league. That's awesome. Did you have you scored? Are, are you the goalie, or, you, or what, what, what position do you play? I play over there. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know the rules. I got. A, we had our first game. I had my first game on Sunday, and I was like, I don't remember the rules. I think that I haven't played longer in longer amount of time than everybody else has been alive on my team. So. um I play in the back. I haven't scored any gay goals yet, but I'm having a lot of fun. And I'm so sore. I got to do that. My my dad plays in a soccer league as well and he's uh uh he's always telling me about these crazy goals that he gets on, you know, I got I kicked the ball through the, between the legs, not making this guy, you know, was 24, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. I got to try that out. It sounds fun. The next time your dad comes to visit, maybe he can give me some tips cuz I have no idea what I'm doing. We have an awesome goalie, which is why we don't lose. I love it. That's awesome, Mindy. I, I, I need to, again, I need to find a, a fun hobby. My, my recent one has been hot yoga. Hot yoga. I mm-hmm. just... I never pictured myself as a hot yoga guy, but it helps my back. Feels good. Sweat it out. Yeah, that sounds like zero fun. Yeah, that's it's like 105 degrees in the room, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I lived in Arizona. No thanks. There's usually like uh, uh, eight women and two men, but I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I, I love it. And... Uh, <laughs> I think I think it's outstanding. I use core power down here in, in Denver. Well, I am glad that you enjoy hot yoga. Thank you. All right, Scott, we have a new segment on our show called The Money Moment, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's money moment is, if you're looking for a side hustle and are in good health, consider donating plasma. You can make anywhere from $360 to $1,000 a month through your donations. Hard to achieve financial freedom without blood, sweat, and tears, Mindy. (laughs) That was a good one, Scott. If you have a money hack, tip, or trick that you would like to share, please email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. All right, before we bring in Sam, let's take a quick break. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. 
So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. And we're back. Today, we're speaking with Sam, who is an airline pilot. Sam struggles with the line between frugal and cheap. You and me both, Sam, and is considering a move to be closer to his daughter and is also looking to start investing in real estate. Sam, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Sam, let's jump into it because we have a lot to discuss. I'm showing a salary of $3,800 a month, and that's after your 401k, your taxes, and your all the other deductions that come out. I see expenses that total $1,700, so that's clearly not where we need to focus. The delta between your income and expenses is $2,000. You're doing pretty good. Investments total $125,000. And Sam, how old are you again? 33. 33. So that's not a bad net worth. I see debts of $48,000, which include a payment for a personal loan to go to flight school. So I think that that's kind of okay because you took out a loan to go to school just like a lot of people take out loans to go to school. I'm not seeing a huge problem in your overall uh, net worth, which we're going to ballpark around $70,000. What can we help you with today? What do you think your biggest pain points are? Yeah, uh, I'd like to discuss the, uh, the the two sides of 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 having wealth, building wealth, keeping wealth. Is yes, it's great to to amass all this money, and I, and I really 
um, excited how my net worth has grown over the last several years, um, but then maybe a little too much. Um, and I think that there's a fine line between spending all your money and saving all your money. And I think I'm maybe too close to the saving all your money. And I don't want that to affect my personal life and my relationships. Um, and so it'd just be interesting to kind of get your all's perspective on that while still making sure that I'm saving, you know, enough for my financial goals. Um, but then also I'd like to discuss, uh, potentially buying some, a house hack, essentially, um, kind of trying to decide between a house hack and renting, given the constraints um, that, that I faced with my career, but also with my family life. Would you mind giving us a quick overview of how we got here? Brief history, your money story? Yeah, sure. Um, growing up, I was unknowingly very lucky. Um, I'd never really had to think about money. There was always plenty of you know food on the table. I had all of my needs and wants met. Uh, we took frequent vacations, you know, at least one or one or two a year. I'd say we were like solidly upper, upper middle class. Um, but I did not really understand how much my parents made. Um, and my mom raised us. She, she was a nurse prior to mine and my siblings birth. And then she was a stay at home spouse. Um, and when it came time to apply for college, I applied for the FAFSA. And one of the questions was, what's your household income? And I just remember asking mom what dad made. And she said, you know, I really don't know. Um, and that kind of, that really just always stuck with me. Um, so I think I grew up with money hidden, but because it wasn't an issue, I never felt the effects of that. Um, fast forward a little bit, I, I ended up marrying a physician and that came along with medical school student loans. And those totaled around $225,000 or so. And we had decided to start a family and I was a stay-at-home dad. Um, and a lot of my time was spent thinking, how in the world am I going to help pay all these off in any reasonable amount of time. And so that was like the first time I really started thinking about finances and coming up with a, a strategy and a game plan. So I started looking at all the available resources online, of which there were quite a few. Um, then fast forward another few years, unfortunately, I was kind of blindsided by a divorce. And when that happened, I had, was a stay at home spouse. So I didn't really have a career to fall back on. And I had to kind of figure out life on my own. Um, and so I became super invested. I kind of had to make it. Um, and so I put a plan in place and that's worked wonderful so far, but now I just want to make sure that it continues to work, um, as well as it has been, you know, in, in the upcoming five, 10, 15, 20 years. So walk us through how you chose, why, why you chose to become a, a pilot and how you went about that process. Um, because so my, both of my parents are in the medical field. My ex-spouse is was in or is in, still in the medical field, and so that was an option that I had considered. And I worked in the medical field as well um, as an emergency physician scribe, as well as a nurse's aide, um, and that was definitely an option to potentially go to medical school. The other one was going to aviation school to be a, become a pilot. I had a, a German foreign exchange student who lived with me in high school for a year, and he ended up becoming a helicopter pilot. And my best friend from high school um, ended up becoming a pilot for the Navy, and so I had these these two pretty influential people in my life go through that and they just, they loved it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll like it too. And so I just, I really randomly called the airport and said, is there anybody near me who does uh, um, flight lessons? And I got the phone number and I called and the guy said, yeah, can you be here in 20 minutes? And I went up and I thought, man, if I can make a living just sitting in the front of a plane, flying people around, that would be fantastic. And I just kind of stuck with it um, and kept after it. And some opportunities fell in into my lap, um, as well as some really hard work. Um, and now I'm here where I'm, where I'm at today. So w walk me through how much a, a pilot makes, because I, I look on, I, I was looking it up 
And it looks like the range is between $50,000 and $900,000 per year. So <laughs> I, how, how, do, how do I make sense of that range for a U.S. airline pilot? And, and what do you expect to happen with your income over the next few years? How long have you been a pilot? That's like six questions at once. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's even, it's even bigger than that range that you, you said. I made a lot less than fifty my first year. I made uh, about 28000 my first year as a professional pilot. Um, and that's immensely... Um, greater than what it used to be a decade ago. It used to be you had to be on, you know, um, food stamps. And that's, that's no joke. You were making minimum wage um, or thereabouts uh, up to. I've know, I know that there are some pilots from Maryland that make over a million a year. So it's a huge range. The way it typically works is the smaller the airline that you fly for and if you are a first officer or a captain. So when I started out, it was a tiny airline with really small prop planes that we flew nine people on. I was a first officer. I made the 28000 Now I fly for a major airline. I'm still in the right seat, but because now I'm flying big jets, um, my salary right now, I'm on track to make about one hundred and ten dollars to $120,000 this year, roughly. So, so walk, me through, walk me through how that translates to $3,800 a month after taxes. Well, it didn't, it didn't get to, to that initially. Like I said, initially, I, I was making like $28,000. Um, my expenses at that point were about fifteen grand a year, and I saved the other thirteen grand or so. Um, now... Uh, major airlines have really good benefits. It's one of the one of the best professional reasons to fly. Um, I mean, I, I think every pilot likes it personally, but there's a lot of benefits other than that. One of is is the wonderful 401k. I'll call it a match. It's not really though. It's a non-elective contribution, and so 16% of my salary goes into a, my 401k as as the employer contribution, which is unbelievably good. Um, I go ahead and I just plan to max that out. So 25% roughly of what I make now will help me max that out. On the employee contribution um, side, I have access to the HSA, uh, which is my first time having access to it. So I was able to, because I started last year, I was able to contribute the full thirty six fifty for twenty twenty two, and then I just dollar cost average um, to to do the thirty eight fifty this year. Um, and then, let's see, is there any other investments? I, I've I, I did start contributing to a brokerage account when I felt like I could, when interest rates were low on my loans, I thought it's going to be a better return on investment to, to start an after-tax brokerage account. I've since stopped that and gone heavily into the loans because they're tied to the prime interest rate. So right now I'm feeling that pain. Um, so after all that um, is taken um, into account plus taxes, and that leaves me with uh, the roughly 3800 take-home pay. Um, and most of that goes to loans. Right now I live on about 1350 a month. That's like what I'm targeting. Um, and then that difference goes to the the loans. So flight school is really expensive, she said, as though she knows what she's talking about. I uh, never looked into it because I could not hit the broad side of a barn. My eyesight is terrible and they won't let me fly planes ever, <laughs> um, which is fine. I just sit in the back. But how did you pay for flight school? Because I understand it to be a lot more expensive than the loans that you took out. It can be. Uh, it's a big range depending on how you want to do it. Um, there are... You can go to a university, a four-year university, and get all of the required flight hours to then become a flight instructor um, and start making some money. And those degrees typically run one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand all in. That's very rough. There are what are called Part sixty-one schools, which are kind of mom and pop schools that you can go to. That you just pay a flat fee for the for the plane plus the instructor plus maybe fuel potentially. And that's more or less what I did. I, I did a very um, as cheap as possible 
uh, route to this. Um, the way I got the money though, was I was a stay at home dad for part of it, but also, so I got a personal loan, um, from my dad. Um, and he gave me about 25,000 to get started and that got me a pretty good chunk of the way. But then we had to take out an additional 50,000 and unfortunately flight loans do not qualify for student loans unless they are tied to a higher education, um, degree. So the only option that we had outside of paying cash for it was a home equity, home equity line of credit. We had to prove that we were able to pay the full 50,000 upfront. So an immense amount of privilege, um, for sure. But my parents said, you know what, we're totally okay with this. We know you're going to work hard and you'll be good for it. You'll pay us back. So that's what they did. And so I'm in the midst of paying, paying that back right now, but you're right. Applied school is incredibly expensive and I, unfortunately, I think it's unfair because it's like you have to be in this really good financial spot as a family to even be able to afford it in the first place. Um, I wish there were other ways to, to go and do it, but that was where I found myself. And so I just did what I had to do. Are there any opportunities for pay increases as your experience level grows or uh, picking up extra shifts? Or I mean, there has to be a, a some downtime. You have to be able to sleep and like walk us through that. Yeah, it's um, so there. I, I've flown in two different arenas, and I, I'll use some jargon, and I hate doing that on an interview because it doesn't mean anything to you guys probably, and it's not going to mean anybody anything to anybody who's not a pilot. But when I first started out flying those small planes that I talked about, I flew in a, in a realm called Part One Thirty Five, and that's the regulation that the FAA ties the company and the pilots to, and they have a certain set of rules. Part One Twenty One is the big jets, and that's what I'm in now. When I was a part 135 pilot, they have certain rules as far as how often you can work. And it's the same with 121. The numbers are just slightly different. Uh, but you're right. You have to have certain amounts of rest and you have to have a certain amount of days off in a certain window of days. Like you have to have 24 hours of rest every seven consecutive days and lots of rules like that. Um, typical pilot schedules for the 135, at least for where I flew, was I worked three to four days a week typically and I had the rest of the days off. So it's a pretty good schedule. So what I would do was fly on my days off as much as possible. Uh, I tried to, anytime our company had like an incentive program or some sort of bonus for flying so many shifts in a in a certain time period, maybe over the summer when demand was going to be high, we would get paid a certain bonus. And I just always tried to make sure that I hit that bonus, but then tried to fly no more than that. So I kind of maximized my time versus money. Um, so I did that as a first officer. It was during COVID that I was flying um, as a first officer of that really small company. So there was really not a lot of demand to sit in a tiny little plane together jammed with eight other people. Um, but as a captain, um, and the COVID restrictions were starting to become a little bit less stringent. Um, I, I made a lot of money, um, that second year for that small company as a captain. Um, and I worked, gosh, it had to have been 70 hours a week, 75 hours a week or so. Um, and I made more on the days off. Like I would work typically two days extra for the week and I would make more in those two days than I did the four days flying, uh, regular so that helped tremendously. In the 121 world, there's maybe little less opportunity to make extra money because you're divided based on your seniority in the airline. I'm a very junior pilot at my current airline. And so I'm on what's called reserve. So the way that works, and if I'm getting too long-winded, let me know. But if the way that works is I take a call and I sit at home and I just wait for the company to say, hey, we need you to come fly. And if so, then I go fly. If they don't, then I'm free to sit in my pajamas all day and do whatever it is that I would like to do as long as I can get to the airport within a certain amount of time. So I may go a month without flying much, but there's not a lot of opportunity to fly extra. Once you have the seniority, you can hold a line, which is a very set amount of flying that you do on a schedule that you know a month in advance. And if you want to pick up on your days off, 
that pays extra. So there will be times where I will be able to make extra money just maybe when I get that seniority. And then of course, the biggest difference in pay and the way you increase your pay is through longevity at your company, because every single year there is a jump up in pay and then what seat you fly. So if you upgrade to captain, you get paid quite a bit more on anywhere between 30 to 70% more per each flight hour. How do you upgrade to captain? Uh, The FAA has a set amount of time. You have to have at least a thousand hours of what's called fixed wing turbine time. So fixed wing is in airplane and not helicopter and turbine, meaning that you're flying a turbine engine aircraft. Um, Once you hit those, the only other small, and I say that sarcastically, factor is you have to have the seniority to hold that seat. So you have to, if if, say, if you work for a large airline that has 14,000 pilots and you may need to, to be there seven years before you can hold that seat. So when you bid for it, you bid against all the other people who want that seat. And if you don't make the cut, the number of captains that the company says, and they say, sorry, you'll have to you know try again next month or try again next year. So um, it could be anywhere between I could maybe upgrade next year. I could maybe upgrade in five years. It depends on the plane and on the base. Um, it's fairly complicated, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and I don't know exactly when that might happen, but eventually that will happen. Um, and I look forward to it. Okay. Uh, one of the issues that you have is, or one of the issues that you said you have is that you struggle with the difference between being frugal and being cheap. What do you think the difference is between being frugal and being cheap? Have you defined that for yourself? I think part of it is when you make decisions that do not align with what you're stated values might be, or an even even easier way might to, might be to say that if you think you would enjoy do, doing something, but don't do it because you're afraid of the $18 that it costs plus tip or whatever it is, then I think you're probably, um, you have your toes across that line in the sand between frugal and cheap. So where are you right now? I, I, I think I'm, I'm jumping back and forth, um, depending on kind of where I'm at in my, in my own head. Um, because I feel, and this is probably not accurate, and there's probably a 45-year-old out there thinking, this guy's 33, he's young, shut up. Um, but it, it feels like I'm getting a late start in life. Um, and being a part of the financial independence community is just as far as reading blogs and watching videos and being kind of immersed in the in the culture. It's very difficult to not compare yourself um, against others. And so it feels like because I had to go through the divorce and kind of had everything reset on me that I have to really push myself to make as much as I can reasonably, but also save as much as I can so that I can still sort of, in my mind, I guess I equate retiring early with winning. Um, and that I feel like if I don't do that, then I might risk losing, <laughs> i.e. not being able to, to retire early, or at least not having the option if it, there ever comes a point at which time where I think I don't really want to fly anymore, or I don't want to do work for pay anymore. Walk me through, your salary is 110 pre-tax? Yeah, uh, roughly. Okay, and and you're you're putting twenty five thousand into your four hundred one k, and you're getting twenty five percent. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, twenty five percent about maxes it out. You're getting a sixteen percent non elective match. We'll call it a match for folks listening, but non elective contributions. That's sixteen grand. So that's forty one thousand dollars. That's hitting your four hundred one k on an annualized basis. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that sound that sounds about right. Yep. Okay. And how much of your loan are you going to pay off on an annual, like in a year? How, how much money is going towards the, the debt repayments that you have? Right now, I think I'm averaging about t- between 2500 
between two and three thousand a month probably right now, and I plan on continuing that until the loan is completely paid off. Great. So, so you you are generating seventy five thousand dollars, give or take, in wealth on a hundred and ten thousand dollar annual salary right now in your current situation. That that is the best I've ever heard on the Money Money Show podcast. I don't have have you heard have you heard of a better a better savings rate than that, Mindy, in terms of wealth accumulation, which I would consider debt repayment part of wealth accumulation. I don't think so. Maybe somebody making like four hundred thousand, but that's not the same. So, so yeah, I, I think I think what your your question is, yeah, you can you can definitely say, you know what, like there's a pace to go at, but you know maybe making one hundred ten thousand dollars and spending fifteen hundred dollars a month is not the not a good interim lifestyle. I think I think yes, in your case, I would ease up a little bit and I'd allocate another five hundred or a thousand dollars to fun and and those those types of things. So I I also think it's a question of of allocation of resources, right? You're going to you're going to pile up an enormous amount in your 401 if if you keep up this pace, you're going to be debt free and you're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in your 401k in a year or two in, in two or three years, right? I mean, you're you're already on that trajectory. But what's that going to get you in in you know, when you're going to pop up, you're going to have a bunch of money in your 401k and a good job um and you're going to be starting from scratch outside of that. I think that's where we, we I, I would almost say, where do you want to po- uh, point the direction of your finances and what portfolio do you want to have in three, five, seven years? Because the trajectory you're on is going to get you a middle-class output, which is fine. Um, but you, you definitely, one, can ease up and two, might want to think about where you're directing those cash flows. I don't know. Is that helpful? It's, it's helpful. It's, it's, like I'd, it's like I intellectually know that and emotionally is <laughs> a, is a different story. <laughs> Have you written down your values? I thought you had a really great definition of the difference between frugal and cheap. You said it's not your it's it's when you make choices that are go that go against your values based on it's going to cost $18 plus tip. So have you written these down? We did an episode, episode 362 called Scott Trench's Step-by-Step Guide to Building Your Perfect One-Page Investment Plan. You know approximately how much money you want to have as your fine number. But I also listened to somebody who was so excited about being a pilot. I listened to you describe the piloting stuff and you you seemed really to love it. And I think a lot of people focus on the RE part of FIRE. They don't focus so much on the FI part. You're doing great financially. You don't need to quit your job unless you wake up in the morning, oh, I got to go pilot a plane. I don't know anybody who pilots a plane who's like, oh, I got to go pilot a plane. They're all like, I get to go fly today. Hooray. Because it's an exciting thing. Who doesn't love to fly? I mean, okay, there's people who don't like to fly. Um, email Scott at biggerpockets.com to tell him all about how much you don't like to fly. I think my fear or my the the, the excuse or reason for my behavior comes in from two areas. I think one is the divorce as far as the mindset shift that happened during that process where just my like my total world was just completely turned upside down and I thought everything was kind of going well and it was on a good track and then you know you get hit by a bus on Tuesday kind of thing um and the fear of that happening again is tremendous uh the second part comes from the fact that my daughter is only going to be in her formative years for so long and the 
I would like to be able to spend as much time as possible essentially with her while, you know, I still am her dad and she wants to hang out with me kind of thing. Um, so it's like, I'm trying to push myself to get to where I have as many options as possible, as soon as possible. So that if, if I want to, you know, move to Baltimore and not fly at all, uh, that's a possibility. If the commuting and, and the work just becomes too much and I can't make her recitals or her games or what have you. So I think those, those are my two areas of why intellectually what Scott says makes perfect sense. And I think, yeah, of course I, there's, I need to, to let loose a little bit and not be to ease off the throttle. Exactly. Um, versus what I'm actually doing. Nice putt, man. Now, now, now another, another component here, let's say I can go back to back is, is you have no runway and I use the concept of financial runway a lot. So that's, 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 a, but, but, but like you're, you're, what you're doing with your money is you're putting all of your cash into paying off this debt. What, by the way, what's the debt? What is the, what is the interest rate in terms of this debt? I know it's with your parents. Uh, well, it's, it's part of it is personal loan. At this point, the largest part is personal loan, which has, he's not charging me any, any interest. Um, the home equity line of credit portion is about $21,000 left at this point, And it's at a roughly eight, eight and a quarter ish percent interest rate. What, what, what do you invest in, in the stock market? What, what, what is the equity portion of your portfolio? It is 100% U.S. stocks, a mix of, um, depending on the broker that I'm with, um, total stock market and S&P 500. Because I've done some tax loss harvesting, they're kind of split depending on... Okay. Before before taxes, what do you expect that portfolio to return over a long period of time? I would say if we're talking um, inflation adjusted, it's probably, I would say I, I like to use 7%. Um, occasionally, I use 6%. So either 6 or 7 Perfect. Okay. So you got an 8% loan and you've got an expectation of a 7% highly volatile return in the other hand. So my thoughts are, why, why don't we have a reallocation event here? Liquidate part of that stock portfolio, clean up this debt. And then I would encourage you to consider building out a runway um, of, of personal finance and, and building up a little bit more of an emergency reserve. From there, if you're sitting on $25,000, for example, which for you is uh, five years of spending, uh, two years of spending, uh, in, in this case, because your, 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 your expenses are so low. Think about like that, that like freedom is a continuum here. Right. And that's a much, you're, I think you're much more free with that portfolio being, um, uh, debt free. Uh, and you, you literally be debt free right within, within a week and beginning to build out an, a, a, a financial runway. Yes, it would be involved liquidating some investments, but if that's what you believe, that's if that's your philosophy at six seven percent, and that's the eight, there's an eight percent guaranteed return over here, why not why not just consider doing that from a resource allocations perspective? And in six months, you've got twenty five, thirty, forty thousand dollars in your emergency reserve. You're you've also accumulated forty one thousand in your four hundred one k. That's a pretty good spot to look up from and have way more options than you have right now. It was a, that was an option that was brought to my attention and I almost pulled the trigger on it and I can't exactly say why I didn't. It was just some, some dumb fear or fallacy of logic that said, oh, I bought these shares in an after-tax brokerage account for a longer term goal, such as a, a down payment for a house or any other number of things. And so I shouldn't sell them because that's what 
it wasn't for, and I don't know. And I just, and then I just dismissed it and thought I'll just take cash flow instead and shove all of it, uh, to the loans. Yeah. And the only reason I say it is because I think that's congruent with your goals, right? You're going to, if, if you, if you're, if you were to do that or something along those lines, again, you're going to accumulate what, three, four or $5,000 a month in after-tax cash flow. Uh, you could make that much more if, if you didn't have any debt. Um, and again, three, six months, I think there's a very realistic path of $25,000, dollars $35,000 in savings and a huge 401k. You're still investing, again, $41,000 annualized, which is going to be more than probably 85, 90% of the population in the United States that's talking, talking away from, from a retirement perspective. So, well, try that on for size. And what, what do you, what do you, what's your reaction to that? Um, so when I initially had that idea kind of tossed at me, I was around $30,000 of loans left and I had pretty much exactly 30,000 in the after-tax brokerage account. And so I almost, so I almost pulled the trigger, but then I decided not to. Now that I'm at 21,000 and the brokerage account is still roughly at 30 because the market's kind of, um, basically the same as, as, uh, when I first considered this, um, I think maybe I'm more likely to accept it now because I don't have to sell all of my brokerage account. It's just the portion of the interest accruing debt that I need to pay off. So I would have, you know, roughly $9,000 left in there. So maybe I would, maybe that would psychologically feel better, um, having the debt totally gone, but still having some of that after-tax brokerage still left. Well, and you don't have to sell it all. Right. Yeah. You could sell 10,000 and pay down 10,000 and see how does this feel? Sit with this for a month oh, I like not having that extra 10000 in debt. I'm going to sell 10000 more or I'm going to sell 5000 more and slam this money as much as I can. Let's talk about your move to Boston. When does your lease come up where you're at currently? So I currently do not have a lease. Um, I lucked out in the apartment that I found and for whatever reason, and I'm not sure, the landlady did not pursue having any of the tenants sign a lease of any description. It was just a, hey, can you Venmo awesome. me the money? Um, and you're good to go. I've never even met her. I mean, I talked to her on the phone and that was about it. Um, so I just rent this little room from her um, for very little money, relatively speaking, in the Boston area. So I can leave at any time. Um, so I'm very flexible when that when it comes to that. The only thing that would hold me back from moving is my schedule. So I have to be able, I have to be able to be at the airport within two and a half hours. And so if I move to Baltimore, I cannot physically get there in two and a half hours from the time they call me because I got to, you know, schedule a flight. Um, so I have to wait until I have the seniority to be able to either do long call reserve, which gives me 14 hours to get to the airport or actually hold a line where I said that they have give you an actual schedule for the month so that I can plan on when on when you know I need to be at the airport. So I do have to wait until I can get a little miss, a little bit more seniority until the move happens. I'm guesstimating maybe six months to a year, hopefully. Do they not have a base that you can transfer to? I'm asking these questions like I uh, I have I have very little bits of information cobbled together from multiple airlines. So I don't know how yours specifically works. Can you transfer your base? You can transfer the base, but tra- there, they don't have a base where I would be moving to. So oh. either way you look at it, if I move to Baltimore, I have to commute um, to whichever base I decide to, to transfer to. Can you switch airlines? Not very easily. And that, that comes with a whole host of uh, issues, not the least of which is that it resets your seniority. So you go back to year zero pay and you also always go back to the left seat. Almost always. I shouldn't use always, but as far as I know, that's how it works. So 
it wouldn't be as bad for me now because I'm still relatively junior, but I would take a pretty, I mean, I would take like a 60% pay cut, which is, you know, that might be worth it. Um, but it's, it's pretty difficult. It's also a long process. For how long do you take that 60% pay cut? For the first year, generally, it's like a probation year. And then after the first year, your pay increases roughly 60%. And how long do you expect your, your daughter to live in Baltimore? Um, I am only assured for about two years because they are, uh, she was, uh, in the air force and her, um, my daughter's stepfather is also in the military. And so they're going to be moving around. So only two years. Um, I've considered potentially changing airlines, but because of the unknown nature of what their future is going to look like, I also feel like I need to retain my flexibility as well, just in case they move and then I want to move again. Oh, interesting. Well, then I, I, com- I completely agree with what your instinct is. You move to Baltimore. Um, if you want to be near your, your daughter, you have no, no choice, um, really. And, and, or, and you commute to where you need to fly out of and you eat that expense or you commute to Baltimore, um, on a regular basis to visit your daughter. Uh, and it's one, it's kind of six of one and half a dozen the other. It's whatever you think is going to be, that's what you value, right? So invest in that, spend, spend your money on, on, on making that happen. And I think that that, yeah, there's not like a good answer to that question. Now uh, we've gone through that and I think those are, yeah, those are your choices. So how, how long would the commute be to, uh, uh, from, from Baltimore to where you'd be working? Uh, it's, it's however long the flight is. I think it's roughly two hours. So thankfully pilots have the ability to fly, you know, fare free, um, whether it's for business or for, or for pleasure. So it's just a a sense of, or a matter of figuring out what airline flies from Baltimore to Boston and then just listing myself for the flight. Um, so yeah, you would, I would look at roughly probably a two hour flight, um, to get to work and then two hours back at the end of whatever work I was doing in Boston. And how frequently? Uh, as frequently as, as, uh, as the number of trips that I have in a month, um, trips last anywhere between a, one day or five days. They typically last no longer than that. And then you you are, um, have to get at least two or three days off between, between the trips. So you you would, I would imagine, a uh, average pilot who commutes probably does three to four commutes back and forth each month. Okay. So this is not, that's, that's a lot, but this is not, Hey, you're getting a plane three times a week, um, to commute to work. It's, it's three times a month to commute to work three to four times a month. Right. So yeah, it is a lot. Um, and it's unfortunate, but I, I, I think that that, that choice would be totally reasonable. And, and probably frankly, what I would be doing in your shoes is moving, moving nearby to spend time with my daughter and, and commuting there. I'd either do that or if, if you thought she was going to be there for longer than that, I'd switch airlines and reset because you, you can do that. But I don't think given the fact that there's no guarantee, that would be a really hard pill to swallow. So what, what do you think? What have, what have, what have your, what has your conclusion been? Yeah, th- exactly what you just said. Um, I definitely want to have to just have the freedom to say, Hey, I'm not working. Why don't you come over to my house today and we can go play or I'll go pick you up and, or I'll pick you up from school and we'll go eat dinner or whatever. Um, and create memories with her that are you know going to last forever. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until deal machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your deal machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. And so it kind of leads us into the other question that I wanted to ask of you guys, especially since you kind of know the constraints now, the decision between just renting and house hacking. And I think my mind says renting offers me the flexibility that I need to. Um, 
because I don't know if two years is really long enough to do an effective house hack where it makes it worth it, knowing that I'm probably going to be moving away from Baltimore after those two years. Well, I, my, my instantaneous reaction there is to zoom back out and say, okay, what's the portfolio? What, what, what is a realistic position you're going to back into three to five years from now? Right. And I use this all the time. This is how I reset almost every, everything in my life when I'm thinking about uh, things in business or personal life. And so I, I can zoom out and I can say right now you are on track to accumulate $75,000 a year in wealth, right? That may change slightly if we, uh, um, spend a little bit more and really and ease off the throttle again, a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but I think that, uh, that, that puts you at what? 75, 150, $350,000, uh, in wealth accumulation. And you can invest that in a variety of ways. Right now you're choosing to invest most of that in your 401k. If you said, Hey, I want a really flexible financial position. I want the maximum flexibility. Uh, I want, uh, I'm going to accumulate that. I want, uh, uh, 350,000 of that to be in real estate. And I want it to be producing 2,500 to $3,000 a month in cash flow, as close as I can get to those numbers. If I, if I can possibly get there, I would say, okay, then we need a house hack, right? And that's where we would go in and we'd say, no, the house hacking is going to be part of an intentional portfolio building strategy. You've got the income, you've got the inclination, um, Maryland's a great real estate market or parts of it are, and there's many opportunities. So that would be where you would use your, uh, you, you, you use the house hacking as a tool in order to move that portfolio. And I think it has less to do with the flexibility piece because house hacking is the most flexible option, right? You buy the house hack and you, and, and you live in it. And in your case, you could, you could conceivably move in, you'd be fulfilling the requirements of your loan. And if your daughter happened to move away in two months from then, I think that would meet the, I, this is where we have to check with a lender. Maybe we can discuss it in the Facebook group, but I have to imagine that that would be an event that would qualify you for an exemption to be able to move out. And, uh, in that from the one year requirement that comes with a lot of owner occupied loans, was that too overwhelming or is that, is that help frame the decision between house hacking or renting? I would say slightly overwhelming just because I'm so unfamiliar <laughs> with, with real estate as a subject and. Um, all of the nuance that goes into that particular decision um, and all of the things that have to be considered and all of the ways in which things can happen. Um, so yes, I think a little, a little overwhelming. Okay. Well, fair enough. If you, if you move next month, maybe it's too soon for a house hack. Uh, but if you, if you decide to get into real estate and you said, Hey, that's the portfolio I want in three to five years, then I think it would be worthwhile to consider it at some point. Um, what do you believe you get a rent for in Maryland? What kind of place would you rent and what, what it would it cost? I did a little looking on, on Zillow, um, and, and I think Redfin and the, it seemed to be to kind of, I mean, of course, location dependent, but anywhere between like 750 per bedroom, all the way up to like 1250, depending on the years. I, I don't know if that's a large range, but that's the range that I found. Okay. I think you are uniquely positioned to have a house hack where you live near the airport and you have a slightly bigger house and you have a crash pad and you advertise this to everybody on every airline that you could possibly think of anywhere near BWI. You just say, hey, if you want to rent a space here, it is, I don't know how much crash pads go for, $100 a month or $300 a month or whatever. And you've got 500 roommates. Don't buy an HOA because they are not going to let you do this. So don't buy it in an HOA, but buy someplace that's super close where people can uh, get there easily from the airport. There's one right by 
the parking lot by I, I'm in Denver, so there's a parking lot where the 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 buses drive you to the offsite parking, and then there's a uh, condo complex right there where people get out. They take the bus over there, they get out, and they that's their crash pad. There's a a bunch of apartments there for probably all the airline workers, and they come in and they like. I'm uh, assuming that the way it works is you come in and you sleep and then you take the sheets off the bed and you wash them and then you leave and like you remake the bed with new sheets or you put them in the dirty pile or whatever. Like you could have this system in place where pe- that makes it really easy for people to want to live in your house with you, you know, constantly coming and going, but it's it's making a lot of money for you because there you have, you know, 500 roommates, but they're never there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience with crash pads? I I don't. Um, I've always lived in the city in which I was based. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't think I've ever considered that particular option. But that does seem, it just sounds exciting. Um, but <laughs> Well, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes there's some downtime in the cockpit. You could talk to your fellow <laughs> pilot, your fellow flight attendants. Just ask them. Um, because you've got a lot of time to do nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that there there's like I think that's the that's the opportunity that you have is you're going to be away from your property for a good bit of time. So I look it, it in your situation because you're planning on renting a room and it's so inexpensive relative to your overall take home pay. Like literally, you're going to spend less than 15 percent of your total pre tax income on housing. Um, which is outstanding because of the, because of that. Um, and and I, I think, I think that if you, if you were to make a big investment outside of traditional asset classes, something like what Mindy said sounds perfect, right? Because you can just turn this, this asset that you're not going to be using at least 20, 30% of the time, most likely into something that produces income for you potentially. And you're already connected to all these people who need this opportunity. I mean, I, you definitely need to talk to somebody who knows more about it than me, but that's a great opportunity. If you already need a place to live and you're going to buy a house, buy it close to the airport. I mean, who wants to drive two hours of the airport when they could drive two minutes? And look again, zooming back out here, what's, what's happened here is you had a, a, a devastating life impact, right? And it's kind of completely upended everything you're doing. You, you have, and, and I think that produced fear for, for, for an uncertainty about the future. But now you're a pilot. You make over six figures. You've got a really stable profession here with, with this. You're, 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 you have great benefits. You're socking away tens of thousands of dollars per year, almost you know, you know, in, in wealth. You've got an investment plan. You're going to be debt-free very shortly. You're less than six months away from being debt-free um, uh, in, in the current phase. And you're in control. Right. This is this just hasn't you haven't had enough time to like take off yet in your financial position. So I think it's I think it's just a matter of letting more time elapse here and you're gonna get very, very comfortable with your financial position within a year. You're gonna be like, Wow, I'm I'm actually I'm 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 kinda rich, uh is what as I think where you're gonna end up pretty shortly here. And you just haven't had and time enough time hasn't elapsed yet for you to kind of feel that confidence, but you're there. So I, I think it's about Putting together a strategy, like you, it, it's hard to internalize after all that you've been through. Oh, I'm going to accumulate 450 grand if I keep this up over the next, uh, uh, what is that? 425 grand over, uh, no, 
sorry, 375 grand is 75 times five over the next five years. That's a large amount of money. That's probably more than you were conceiving was, was reasonable two or three or four years ago when you're making, or how, how much you were, you know, you're making $28,000 a year, but you still have a very real problem of you have to make an intentional decision about where you're going to allocate that and how you, and, and, and when you're going to ease off here and allow yourself to enjoy uh, life a little bit from a spending perspective, because you're there. You've got a very strong financial foundation uh, that you're about to pour. Keep grinding until you pay off the debt and then pop up and say, what do I want the next five life, years of my life to look like? And what do I want the financial position to be after that? Um, make those intentional choices. And I, I completely agree with the decision uh, to move to Baltimore and commute if that's the best way to see your daughter in your circumstances. It's sad that it's, that's the reality, but I think that that's the... I, I, I don't think it's, I think it's hard to argue with. Yeah, it is hard to argue with. I can't argue with any of that. All right. Well, should we land this episode? Thank you for all the airline puns today, Scott. Well, thank you guys. Um, th Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciated talking to you. Uh, uh, great. I mean, you, you just have built a, such a strong financial foundation. And I think, again, you're going to pop up in the next six months to a year and realize how strong your situation is and how, how much room to run you have. I think, I think you're going to be feeling really good about things. And um, I wish you luck with, with the move if that's what you decide to do. And uh, many happy memories with your daughter. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Appreciate all the advice um, from from both of you. And it's, it's always good to just talk with somebody else because I, I feel like so often people can feel like their own little islands, um, whether their situation is good or bad. Um, so it's just nice to get get feedback and kind of chit chat about about personal finance. Thank you, Sam. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right, Scott. That was Sam, and that was actually a lot of fun. First of all, kudos to all of you. Uh, who counted every one of his airline puns. Nice job, Scott, on the airline puns. Those were not scripted. He just comes up with them because he is so good. They weren't that good. I, I can do better. Next time, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get some more fun ones in there. Okay. Well, let's make a note to our wonderful producer, Kaylin, to give us some topics for puns so Scott can slip them in. All right. But that was a fun conversation that we had with Sam. I think he has a lot of opportunity ahead of him. And like you said, grind it out until you pay off that loan, experiment with the employee stock purchase plan, and then pull back on the throttle a little bit and enjoy life. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's, I, I think he's going to just ascend to new heights with his financial position over the next couple of years. And again, this is a common situation, I think, for us uh, on the money money show is folks kind of get into finance. They start dabbling, they clean up their position. And when they pop up, they haven't sat on a position that's really well constructed with their new high income and their high savings rate and their new investment philosophy for very long. And it's really hard to see, oh, I spent all my life getting to this point. But the next five years, if I just sit at this this point, don't even improve. I just go sustain where I'm at. I'm going to accumulate 375 grand. Wow, that's like a like a pretty big thing to pop out of. And I think you know it's years in the making to get to that kind of run rate. And again, I think it's just hard. That's why we got to keep popping Sam out. And if you're in the shoes of a Sam, if that's relevant to your situation. That's probably what I would encourage you to do as well is pop out, zoom out, think about five years, what's the trajectory, how much total cash am I going to accumulate over those next five years, where do I want to allocate it, and what do I want to allocate to my values, like moving next to my daughter? Because there is, there are plenty of things. This is not about sacrificing all of life for the next five, 10 years to get to financial independence. It's about spending in alignment with your values, but 
not wasting anything so that all of the excess that's not spent on your values is going towards buying your freedom and giving you the, ma- the maximum optionality at the end at the end of that journey. That was very well said, Scott. Absolutely agree. All right, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen, hoping that these Finance Friday episodes help you stay out of the danger zone. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.